You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What is happening? I know uh, you're all very excited for today's show because our cinematographer shows seem to do extremely well. Uh, and today we are very privileged to have uh, a great guest, uh, someone that I sought out because I really enjoy his work. Uh, yes, you all know that I'm a big fan of Zack Snyder's Justice League cut, and our guest today is the cinematographer of that film, that epic film, um, but also one of my other favorite movies over the past, what has it been, like five years? Over the past five, ten years has been this little film called Overlord. I call it a little film. It's not necessarily a little film. It's still an amazing blockbuster. Uh, but this film called Overlord, which I don't know if you guys saw it or not. It's uh, directed by Julius Avery, uh, and it takes place in World War II. Uh, we follow a platoon of men uh, as they sort of go in on D-Day, and it turns into this very strange creature zombie movie. Uh, love this film. Love the way that this film looked. The colors, the contrast of colors, the beautiful, like decision that they made uh, to not go into the desaturated World War II realm and sort of just go in the hypersaturated, gorgeous look that that movie had. Uh, I've been a fan of it for a long time. And I asked today's guest to be on the show because I am such a fan of the Justice League cut. And I wanted to sort of talk about what it's like to be a cinematographer shooting primarily green screen. The idea of walking onto a set that is all green is just anxiety fueled for me the not having those real borders not having the you know knowing exactly where the sun's coming from knowing where your key light comes from that kind of stuff stresses me out and so i'd like to have him on the show today to sort of talk about all that and if you haven't figured it out already today's guest is the amazing mr uh fabian wagner who is on today and uh, he is going to talk about his experience working on both television and feature film stuff because he has shot a bunch of episodes of everybody's favorite show, Game of Thrones. He thought I was going to say The Crown because he also shot The Crown too, but uh, Game of Thrones, big show for everybody loves and also like an epic show to shoot. It's almost like doing like uh, a bunch of movies back to back on that show. Uh, so... Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you, everybody, that continues to follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy on Instagram or follow the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Uh, I appreciate all of the attention you guys give. I appreciate the interactions. Um, you have been suggesting guests, and I have been trying my damnedest to pull them together. Also, big shout out to a bunch of folks that have connections to guests because a lot of the folks listening to the show are in the industry and there's nothing better that when someone writes to me and say, Hey, how would you like to talk to so-and-so? I just work with so-and-so. How would you like to do that? Big shout out. And you guys know who you are. Big shout out to all of you who help book guests for this show. Makes my life easier. I love it. We have a community of people that want to have this conversation together. Big fan of that. Um, so before we start today's episode, I just want to do a bit of a disclaimer here. Um, I cannot wait till we get out of quarantine. I don't know when this show is going to come out. Maybe we'll be out at that point. 
Um, but the recording podcasts over the internet is just getting taxing because I can't get the same connections. And you're going to hear that at the beginning of today's episode because I've already recorded it. We had a bunch of technical issues with Zencaster. And uh, it's just mind-blowing. For those of you who are interested in doing podcasts or have done interviews, uh, trying to navigate in a world in which there's a delay. Because I'm here in Los Angeles. Uh, Fabian's over in, I think he's in the UK today, was the conversation that we were having. So not only is there a time difference, but then there's also this weird delay that happens. That I know Liam is going to do the hard work behind the scenes. And you guys are going to go, I don't even know what you're talking about. I can't hear it. You'll hear it in our conversation. Um, we end up connecting by the end of the show. We end up finding our rhythms by the end of the show. Uh, but uh, just bear with it. It's been such a taxing and interesting way to interview people over the internet. And thank God exists because I wouldn't be able to do the show without it. But man, we're so close. I cannot wait to start doing in-person conversations because they are so much better. <laughs> that being said, get ready. Strap yourselves in for a great episode. If you guys are big into cinematography, if you guys want to hear some, some tips and tricks, there might be some stuff in here. Uh, he shares a lot. He shares a lot about uh, what he likes to do. Uh, when first meeting actors, what he likes to do when planning his lighting. So there's a bunch of good stuff in here. Uh, so strap yourselves in. I know you got those noise-canceling headphones on. Turn them up. Crank them to 11. Get ready. Sit back. Relax and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Fabian, thanks for being on the show, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, ext extremely excited to have you on because I have been a big fan of your work for quite some time. Honestly, it was when I went and watched Overlord and I was blown away with how beautiful that movie looked. Oh, thank you. That was good fun. Oh, it was a good fun movie to watch. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> like seeing that in well, the... That was the idea. Seeing that in the theater, it was gripping my the edge of my seat, and and being a a, a sci-fi and an action fan, uh, I was absolutely surprised with how amazing that movie was, uh, and I thought that you guys did a killer job with it, man. So that's great, thank you. Um, so what I'd like to talk about on the show, because you and I really haven't had much prep. This is the first time that we're talking. Uh, I work in the business myself. I'm a director and I've been doing this for a while and I like to sort of dig a little bit deeper than the normal conversations. Um, and there's tons of uh, articles out there about all the work that you've done on uh, Justice League. And I think that movie is phenomenal. I thought that uh, Zack Snyder's cut was really fantastic and your work really shown through in the new version, which I loved. Um, but I want to dig a little deeper and I want to dig into um, how this how this job works for you, especially since you do a lot of stuff or you've done a lot of stuff that requires, you know, green screen and like post compositing. And as a director, it's, it's uh, daunting to walk into a studio space, walk into a studio space. That's all green screen walls and go, okay, so uh, where's the sun come from again? Like, where's the key light coming from? <laughs> uh, and so I'd love to sort of talk about your process with that. 
um, and so to tackle, you know, so to get a little bit deeper than you normally get on the show, you know? Sure. I mean, you know, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I didn't start doing that. I started doing, um, I come from sort of, uh, doing more low budget stuff. You know, I started in doing, um, very real kind of TV dramas here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, back in sort of 2005, six, seven, up to 2010. Um, and back then really, I didn't do that much visual effects. It's interesting. And I kind of fell into it. I kind of, I really enjoy it too. I love, I love shooting visual effects. I love working with the visual effects department. Um, so I'm perfectly happy with it, and I'm, I'm I'm glad that it's all sort of gone that way. But yeah, I kind of fell into it without really um, ever thinking that would be something that I do a lot of. Um, so yeah, and I guess you know, working with visual effects requires a slightly different attitude or look on things because, like you said, you know, you walk into a stage that sometimes can be predominantly green and. Uh, <laughs> And doesn't we don't really know what's going on? But you know, I really, I, I kind of creatively, I kind of see that as a real interesting challenge. Like you know, I love working with the visual effects team. I love creating those worlds. Um, I, lo- I love that communication with, I mean, not only the director but also the actors. You know about, okay, guys. So here we are. You know, we're gonna. This is how it's gonna look. I normally do like. Um, sort of reference pictures of what the world will look like later so that they can sort of relate to the space that they're in. Mm-hmm. And obviously I do a lot with interactive lighting that kind of also helps slightly. I mean, when you say about, you know, you walk in and you're like, where's the sun? I mean, that's that's usually the slightly more easier thing because the biggest light on set, <laughs> <laughs> one sort single light on set that's somewhere up high there's a sun there <laughs> yeah but there's there's the question so i assume that what you're doing is dealing with the visual effects department early on for these sequences and then deciding with them like okay so we're going to get uh a bunch of key light from either a sun source or we're going to get key light from like units that you're building in practically into the sets or there's going to be a lot of explosion light that i'm going to be doing with like led triggers like are you sitting with the vfx department early on and and sort of playing with the environment and then deciding it all together and is that a strange thing because i think a lot of times when you're dealing practically and you're doing smaller shoots you kind of get to go in there and go okay here are the rules here's what's happening practically here and I can play within the rule set. It just seems like it's a lot more daunting when you don't have that rule set in front of you. Like the, the, the fence is lifted. You can go anywhere. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's more, it's like a, I don't think it's daunting. I think it's more of a, you know, it's just a different approach. So, I mean, you know, one reason why I love shooting on location, for example, where you don't have that, you know, is that you do have those limitations that a certain location brings with it. And, if you only have a room and there's one window, there's only one window that you can put the light through, for example, and that and that will bring up its own ch- its own challenges. But on the other hand, it also it binds you to this kind of the real world. Whereas obviously, when you're doing green screen, you're kind of completely free and you can do whatever you want. So, I mean, to me, I kind of it's it's an exploration, really. I, you know, first you talk to the director about what he or she wants to do, uh, what they kind of see or have in mind i mean sometimes it's already 
clear from the beginning what this is. Mm-hmm. All the times you kind of explore the space, and then and then yes, and then I would sit down very early on, as early as I can, with the visual effects department, and we would kind of we would kind of um, come up with a, a look, you know, that everybody is happy with, and then I can start a lighting plan that will kind of support that look and will take us into the direction and. You know, that, that's one of the things that I enjoy the most is doing the interactive lighting. Like, you know, every time I do, I mean, you mentioned Overlord earlier on, you know, that opening sequence in the plane, obviously that was, um, the plane was real, but everything outside was green screen. And as soon as they uh, started to get shot up, you know, and all these explosions, you know, so I did a lot of interactive lighting with um, actually not LEDs on that case because I love tungsten. So I was having... I use Wendy's that we dimmed up and down. Uh, also, okay. For example, a lot of um, firelight. I love the real effect of firelight. So I would always have like um, a flame bar that would go up or a flamethrower or something that will enhance that feeling of realism mm-hmm. as much as possible. And then obviously it's enhanced later on in, in visual effects and post. So um that's that sequence in particular is amazing. I, I remember because you, you sit down, and you watch that movie, and you're, you're thrust right into it, and you you think it harkens you back to like Saving Private Ryan and sort of like the intensity that Spielberg did. But you guys had your own specific way of doing it, and I was just enthralled with the contrast. I really loved the contrasting colors. I loved the choices between like those very orange and warm amber. Um, you know, flash and, and, and flame lights that you were doing. There was one in particular that was coming out of the cockpit that, that gave this really great flare and everything. And I was, I was like, man, that's gorgeous. Contrasted with the sort of hot, overexposed, like internal lights that you built into the roof or the, the yeah, the roof of the inside of the plane, which I thought were really gorgeous too. Like the contrast inside that airplane. That wasn't quite realistic, those lights. Yeah, we, I didn't have them build it, but... Uh... I kind of wanted to evolve the look a little bit in that sequence, so they were really helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, we, we, you know, when we first started prepping that movie, we were both straight away talking about let's not make it a typical war movie that's desaturated and you know, let's really go go for those colors, you know. And and I really like that sequence when it goes to nighttime and the, and the sky is blue, the nighttime's blue, but you've got these really vivid explosions and colors. I think that works really well. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I love like very saturated color stuff. It with with you. Are you sort of sitting down and designing a color palette early on? Are you designing a color palette that has sort of like character and emotional purposes, or are you just going more basic where it's like okay, a gray contrast to this blue is this amber? Like, how do you usually play with color? I mean, that depends on the on the on the on the project. I think. I mean. Overlord, we weren't we weren't going for a specific color for the characters in a in a Storaro kind of sense, you know. But then there's other projects where you talk about, you know, oh, what does it mean if 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 the wall color of this character's place would be red, or what does it mean if it was yellow? Or, and you approach it more from from that very philosophical mm-hmm. uh, as Storaro has kind of developed, which. Which I think is, is is great, you know, it's beautiful. But you know, I think it depends on the project. Overlord, we just overall said, look, we want to make a war movie, a war slash zombie movie, <laughs> genre that is just more colorful than what you would normally expect. It's really, yeah, it's beautiful. Like whatever you guys did, it it looks absolutely amazing. 
Did, like uh, Julius seems like he's an interesting director to work with. Uh, and you've had the pleasure of also working with Zack Snyder. And I think both those films have, you know, uh, a visceral sense of action, but also some green screen elements. Um, was there radical differences between those two directors with those sets very different for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're totally different directors. Everybody's different. Everyone, every single director is different to another, which is great, which makes it one such a fun and interesting challenge. Um you know, Overlord, we were actually, we didn't have that much visual effects. I mean, obviously the opening sequence was was visual effects heavy because of the plane falling apart and the green screen, but everything else really was done in real locations. Right. It really was. Justice League, we really had, we had a lot of amazing set builds. Patrick Tatopoulos built some amazing sets for us. Mm-hmm. But there was also uh, a lot of green screen and all of those, and then obviously a lot of pure green screen sets, you know, for all the underwater stuff. For right, you know, right, right, right. The the Aquaman stuff, which is interesting, because uh, you guys were doing that. You guys were designing that world prior to the Aquaman movie, correct? Like you guys had sort of designed how you were going to do the underwater stuff before uh, James Wan had done it, right? Yes. Yeah, and and that must have been a challenge within itself. Like were you guys doing most of that you must were you doing because i remember watching the behind the scenes on shape of water and how guillermo was doing his like uh underwater sort of fan and light sort of effects were you guys doing something similar like what was what was the philosophy of dealing with the underwater stuff for you we were shooting above water (laughs) (laughs) right well we we never we always said let's not go into the water because we had so much to do with in water and we had so much dialogue in water it would have become a real, uh, real tricky thing to do. So we actually developed this little, the non-water underwater technique. <laughs> right, right, right. Which was quite, which was an interesting thing. Which was an interesting thing to do. It was basically, you know, obviously visual effects heavy, but we, it was basically a green screen stage. We had the actors on a on a thing called as the tuning fork, hmm. which, uh, which is a a device that the actors get strapped into on the hips. Um, but they can rotate their bodies and they can be in free flow. The, the, the frog then gets lifted up so they're off the ground. And it can, can then be moved in combination with the actor moving and sort of having that free flow as if you were underwater. And on top of that, I was doing interactive lighting, which involved, and in this occasion, we did a lot of testing of how, how, we, should do it, how we should do it. And I, I eventually, I settled on using uh, rock and roll lights, basically, <clears throat> which are you know, festivals or concert lights, which, which, which move and can create different shapes and patterns and, and movement. Right, right, right. Them to sort of imitate the, um, the light breaking as it hits the water. And, and so that was an interesting process. And I, and I, I really, th- I thought it worked really well. It gives a kind of a dreamy kind of atmosphere to it, but I thought it worked really well. Yeah. It must be interesting when you're when you're that deep in like the green screen shooting because it you guys must become very hyper focused on specific shots because you're it may, like when you're looking at it from the outside from the other side of the camera on a green screen stage it doesn't look anything like it's going to ultimately look so does it start to get confusing in there and are you guys always just referencing either storyboards or um, 
the the concept work for it? Like, how do you keep your head in the game when you're on a green screen stage? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, don't, I mean, that's I don't I never have that problem. I mean, I guess you know if you if you had sent me on Justice League set ten years ago, I wouldn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> um, but then you know, the more often you do it, and the more you do it, the more you the better you get at it, I guess, or the more easy in a way it becomes. So no, I, I you know. It, well, when you work with a good team and you've got a great visual effects department and you've got someone like Zach, who's such a visual director with so much experience, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 that really, that really isn't an issue. It must have been fascinating to to shoot that movie with such an ensemble and then deal with um, the the trouble of how do I shoot. Uh, because whenever I did like rock and roll photography, I'd have to shoot bands and stuff, and you you have to make you know five people all look epically uh, important. Uh, framing in itself must have been difficult. Although I had read that uh, he decided to use that IMAX format for that purpose, so that it was easier to frame uh, people from head to toe. Is that correct, or was it difficult for you doing the large groups? No, I thought it was great. I mean, I mean, the idea for that was from day one. Is that something that Zach was really into? When he first he told me about it in my first ever meeting with him, and I was slightly taken aback at that time because I, obviously, having been a fan of his previous movies, having seen all those previous movies, which were all two, three, nine mm-hmm. widescreen, and us being so used to to seeing a Hollywood blockbuster in widescreen, you know, in the for the first moment, I was like, "Whoa, that's uh, that sounds." sounds kind of different but then as soon as i thought about it i thought that's such a great idea and i I think it just works so well it just i I feel it makes those great characters grand superhero characters even grander i think i think it really 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 works and i I really enjoyed um framing for that yeah it was a fascinating thing because i ended up like everybody in quarantine i ended up watching it on hbo max and in the you know the first you know minute and a half you're like okay so this is four by three and so you're, you're, you're watching this stuff and then I just get lost in it because the movie's great and I'm really into the action and everything. And so I, I completely forget about it. And then I was watching side-by-side comparisons later. And when I was seeing it cropped, uh, the, the standard way that you would see most of the action movies these days, I felt like I was missing something, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was fascinating. And then it makes a lot of sense when you're thinking about it comic book wise, because you know the panels that you're illustrating on are typically not, you know, cinema like the 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 widescreen format, you know. So mm-hmm. it it totally made more sense watching the film that way. Um, yeah, I think it's great that that Zach pushed for that and that he made it happen that way. And um, yeah, I think that for me that just added to the whole experience. Was there a um, <clears throat> was there an experience while you were shooting this thing that uh, really sort of blew you away, like something that stands out? For you, whether it was like a technical thing that happened on set or if it was an actor's performance, was there something that happened on that shoot that you still remembered vividly? Every day. I mean, look, that, <laughs> you know, for me, that was such a massive thing to get that job. I never expected to get that job. I remember having a phone call from my agent saying, Zack Snyder's in London. He wants to meet you. I literally fell off my chair when that happened. <laughs> I bet. Because, you know, I've always been a fan of Zach. You know, I, watch, I remember watching 300 back in 2000 and something and thinking, wow, this is just fucking awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, him and Larry Fong really created a new look um, 
for movies that time, you know. And then, so, you know, I've always been a fan. And then so, you know, when I got to meet Zach, you know, that was such an amazing meeting and he was so generous and so nice and so open. And when I walked out of his office that day, I thought, you know, well, you know, it was just really cool to meet him. <laughs> uh, if ever, most likely nothing will come of this. And then two weeks later, I had a phone call saying, you're on, and that was like so. To, so the whole thing to me was kind of a dream. I literally, I remember driving into the office for at least two months every morning, thinking, "Shit, is this real?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's not to pick one specific day. It was such a, it was such an experience to work with him, and I, I had such a good time. So, did you ever hear why he ended up uh, having taking a meeting with you? Was there a specific work that you had done that uh, really caught his eye? Well, well, I don't really know. I heard that he 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 does love Game of Thrones, and um, mm -hmm. I heard that he that the, he was meeting lots of DPs, and and he said to his assistant one day, "Who's who's the who's the Game of Thrones guy? Put him to the top of the pile. I want to meet him." <laughs> and but whether it's true or not, I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, that is true. You've done a lot of Game of Thrones work, and. Uh, you've been doing a lot of TV in general. What do you do? You prefer television over movies, or is it you just jump on whatever the great project comes at you? Uh, no, it's not a preferred TV. It's a, it's a funny thing, you know. When I first got into this industry, when I was very young, I, you know, I got into it because I love movies. I, I'm a big, I love, I love, I've always loved movies, and I still love, love movies. Um, mm -hmm. So when I first started, I really. <sighs> I was hoping to to do movies as soon as possible, but you know, in this industry or in life in general, you can't really plan anything because <laughs> it will never come to fruition that way anyway. So yeah. you know, when I first started, I just kind of fell into TV, and you know, I'm very grateful for the way everything went. But because I was so busy for the, when I fell, in, I was so busy after I'd done a couple of TV shows. You know, I kind of made a name for myself a little bit, I guess, and, and people wanted to work with me. And so I just kind of got stuck in a way to, uh, to TV. And then you kind of get known for certain things. And and it just didn't come my way, you know. And for, for a while, I mean, I was so busy for a few years and enjoying myself that I didn't really think about it. And suddenly I sat back and thought, you know, I really wanted to do a movie and it's just never happened. And I was sort of trying to find out why and then and then I met um, one of my good friends now who's becoming one of my good friends Paul McGuigan who's a great director who who got me to do Sherlock uh, mm -hmm. season two and we became great friends after that and collaborators and, and he then took me on to do my first movie which was kind of way later than what I ever thought of or anticipated but you know it's just the way that things went so yeah, it's it's wild because you never, like you said, you never really can plan your your uh, projection in this business. Like you really just have to be aware and ready to jump on an opportunity when an opportunity comes at you. Mm -hmm. um, with uh, when you finally made the jump to doing a feature, uh, was there big differences between you know being a cinematographer on a TV show and a feature for you? Well, funny, funny enough, then you know. When that happened, there actually wasn't that much of a difference. I mean, I had done my first season of Game of Thrones back then, which was in season four. That was already a fairly big show, nothing as big as it became a couple of years later. But 
it was already big. And my first movie with Paul was a film called Victor Frankenstein with James McAvoy and mm -hmm. Daniel Radcliffe, mm -hmm. which sadly and kind of slightly, um, uh, for, for some reason, somehow, um, Got, got panned by the critics, unfortunately. I don't think it was that bad a film. And it was certainly a lot of fun for me to shoot. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, that was kind of a what you would probably call medium-budget movie. You know, I'm not sure how much they had, probably 25, 30 million. Um, and so, you know, from a shooting perspective, that was just as mad as shooting TV or in Game of Thrones. You know, we were... Right. It, it wasn't, uh, oh, suddenly I've got two hours to light a scene. Um, it go from the moment turnover to wrap at the end of the day. So, um, but it was a great experience. I had a great time, and I loved shooting shooting that movie. So, when you because I've had a bunch of other cinematographers from other TV shows on, and um, they've said that the the actual schedule when they're trying to keep up with stuff can be pretty intense, like trying to stay ahead of the next episode and. Was it that way for you, or were you tackling each episode like its own little movie? Like, were you doing multiple episodes at the same time, or was it just one off after one off after one off for you? You mean on Thrones or in general? And on Game of Thrones, let's talk Game of Thrones. Yeah. Well, I did. I did two episodes every season, so I mean they're pretty full on. But I, yeah, you don't. No, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I'm, I don't think I would tackle them as a separate episode because they're all interlinked. You know, so you kind of tackle it as one one whole thing, right? Right, because there is consistency and there is continuity with it. And then when you're working with other cinematographers, are you guys just all sort of communicating and and making sure that you know the specifics stay the same, like the details stay the same? Like, how yeah, you... I mean, that's one thing that I loved, and that's one thing that I got introduced to on Game of Thrones, and one thing that I'm really appreciative of and, and, and really enjoyed and I made amazing friends in so many great DPs like Jonathan Freeman, Rob McLachlan, Annette Helmick, you know, and, and many others, David Franco and and they were so generous with their knowledge and their time and, and when you're working on a show like this where you're sort of sharing the office every day and you're all shooting simultaneously, that's an amazing experience uh, and, and I really cherish that because normally when you do a movie by yourself or mm -hmm. In TV shows, you don't really cross over because you're shooting it block by block. So there's only one of you there. And so I really enjoyed that uh, opportunity of, of, of all being there together and sharing experiences and knowledge. And, and uh, that was great. That's a fascinating thing. I never really thought of that. It must be, it must have been, fa like, do you guys, do you guys share like specific knowledge? Like, okay, when I like this actor in a specific close up, this is what I was using and this was what I found was really great. Or was it just sort of overall knowledge that you guys were sharing? No, it would go into any depth. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I remember when I first started, I was pretty overwhelmed by the whole thing. I'd done a lot of stuff by then, you know, I'd, I'd been professional, sort of say DP for like, I don't know, eight, nine, eight years or whatever. So I've done my fair bit of stuff, but, you know, I hadn't done anything on the scale of Game of Thrones. So I was pretty honestly overwhelmed when I first stepped into those <laughs> sets. You know, it kind of was a different league, you know. And uh, and so, you know, to have the help of, you know, to be able to approach Jonathan and say, look, you know, what is it that you do here normally or what would you do? And, and you know, for them to be so open and generous was an amazing 
uh, experience, and it would be, it would be anything. It would be just hey, uh, hey, what do you use for your nighttime color? Mm-hmm. I want to match it, or I don't want to go too far away from it. You're doing to what do you think is the best way to shoot that specific actor? What's a good side? What's a bad side? How does it work? You know, what do you think is a good lens for them? Mm-hmm. So it could be anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which is if a lot of folks, uh, at least a lot of the people that listen to this show are always asking me about lighting. And, and they, a lot of people look at lighting as if it's still this sort of magical thing. And uh, a lot of folks still have trouble sort of wrapping their head around how it works. And I'm always trying to explain to them, like, it's it's not as complicated as one would think. And it's it's about the direction of light. And it's amazing how the subtlest movement like of your key and how your key wraps around will change how we perceive that actor, what we're reading from them emotionally from that actor. Um, mm. Do you, when you actually sit down and do a film, do you like to do tests? Like, do you like to jump? Because I know they do a lot of wardrobe color tests and shooting all that. Do you take advantage of those those times to sort of find the correct angle for your for your leads, or are you trying to <laughs> get that done as quickly as possible during the first take of a of a, of a production? Well, you, you normally do like a few days of costume tests, you know, a few weeks away from shooting. Um, I would look at that a little bit during those, but you know what? The the one thing that I always that I get the most out of hmm. from Looking, because because when you do makeup tests and costume tests, the actors are they're putting on their game face, and so I f- I always find it very. It's not the real thing, and so the, the one thing that I always and that's why I always used to go to these. It's difficult. It's difficult right now because we're in COVID situation and lockdown. So, but yeah. the one thing that I always used to go to every time and that was the moment when I used to study the actors um, for hours would be the read through which is is the the time when they all sit around the table together with the producers, the writers, the director and all the actors and they're reading through the script and they're just reading their lines and I used to sit in there and listen to the read through and that's when I used to really study the, the faces Fascinating, fascinating. Because, and and then you're sort of dealing with an environment which is probably just like a bunch of overhead, you know, fluorescent lights. There's, you know, you're in. Yeah, it doesn't matter about the lighting. It's just it literally then focuses you on the faces, you know, and how they, how they are in the natural environment without putting on a, a, the acting face or the game face. So that gave me always, I felt personally anyway, a lot more insight into what could work on those characters, on those actors, than. Hmm. That's awesome. That's interesting. You're the first person I've heard say that. Um, Good. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So when you are looking at their faces, are you just trying to find the character? Are you just looking at how they communicate with folks? Are you examining the shape of their faces? Like, what what are you usually focused on? Yeah, everything. You look at them and see like, oh, you know, this... Because they obviously move around and look at different people, so you see different aspects and different sides, and you think, "Oh, well, you know, they look really interesting from that kind of angle." Where I'm sitting and he's looking, or she's looking to the left, you know, that that works really well. Or, you know, it's it's everything from the from the tonality of their voices to the way their their faces move and behave and and the way they look. Hmm. But because it's so and they're so unconscious about doing it because they're just sitting in an office in a big office room with 40 people, mm-hmm. you, know, you get the real thing. Yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense, man. It totally does. Okay, everyone. Uh, it's time to do a little advertising. It's time to keep this show running with the support of our friends at uh, all these different companies that have uh, been signing on for new rounds of sponsorships, which is great news because that means you guys have been clicking on the links. <laughs> Thank you for doing so. And if the, for those of you who are like, what links? I don't click on links. You should be ashamed of yourself. Absolutely ashamed of yourself. Just taking for me for free without following through with our sponsors. It's very easy to do. All you have to do is click the links that we put in the description of the episode. Those links, most of the time those links, almost all the time those links are traceable. That means that these that these sponsors know when we're clicking on them. So Mike can't lie to them. <laughs> I can't say stuff like, oh, everybody loves this shit. They're like, uh, yeah, we didn't get any clicks the last episode. Oh. You know what I mean? So if uh, you want the show to keep going, uh, please, just while you're listening to the show, it won't interrupt the podcast. All you have to do is click on some links below the episode, take a look around, you'll find some interesting stuff. And today's reads are going to be a little different. I'm going to mix it up. We're going to go through and uh, check out some of their websites. I want to talk about some of the stuff that is interesting me with these guys because like i said i ask people to sponsor the show because i use their products because i'm in bed with them essentially like emotionally in bed with them <laughs> first up good friends over at puget systems you've heard the read a hundred times on this show over a hundred times because these guys have been with me since the beginning i am a avid pc user i am an avid uh, Puget Systems user, and I've had so many of the listeners of the show come to me and go, hey man, what Puget Systems are you using? I've had so many guests come to the show, you wouldn't believe the guests that have bought Puget Systems because of the show. And I'm going to drop it, I'm going to say it, who who bought one, Ash Thorpe. He wrote to me a couple weeks ago and was like, dude, I got a new project, I need bigger and beef, beefier machines, and you can't shut the fuck up about Puget Systems. Can you please let me know? what you like about them. So, we talked. And uh, last I heard, I think he's getting one. And for those of you who don't know who Ash Thorpe is, shame on you, uh, you can go back and listen to the episode with him. Uh, he is uh, involved with uh, doing things like designing the new Batmobile. It's in the new Batman movie. I think I'm allowed to say that on air, potentially. So, uh, yeah, Ash is a good dude. We're good friends. Uh, and uh, he... Also, sounds like he's getting himself a Puget System. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, head on over to PugetSystems.com. If you're someone that is looking to buy a new computer, if you're booting up your machine and the get the fucking pinwheel of death, right? And you're like, all I want to do is the exact same thing this did three weeks ago. But for some reason, after the automatic software update that happened behind the scenes, now my machine won't run as fast. It's the same fucking codex. It's the same goddamn fucking timeline. And still the machine won't run as fast. That was my problem that I had, what was it, six years ago when I was dealing with the dark side of computers in my mind. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. They're going to come after me. Uh, when I was dealing with Apple and their machines, 
uh, because uh, it seemed like their policy there at that company is sell them shit, release a bunch of free updates that will automatically fucking render their hardware useless so that they have to buy more shit. Do you guys feel that way? I just went through the process of spending $1,200. I spent $1,200 on a new iPhone. And I was like, this is going to change my life, right? I'm finally going to be able to finish uploading things to Instagram without it fucking crashing halfway through. This is going to be wonderful for me. And so I went to it. I, I said, all right, well, I should probably get the top of the line because I do a lot of this stuff with you guys. I'm going to be filming things. Maybe I'll get that. All right. $1,200. Okay. Well, I haven't had a I haven't had to buy a phone in like six years. All right. So, okay. Justify. Just justify shit. So I buy it. I get it. Sure. It does all the things that I wanted my own, that my old phone used to do, right? So it does all the things that it used to do. And then that's it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally ashamed of the fact that I spent that much money on a fucking phone that just does what it used to do. That's what drives me crazy about computers. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this stuff. I know for those of you that work in our industry and have to edit things, you're consistently feeling this with the releases of new codecs, new fucking formats, new fucking screen resolutions. It seems like there's a hundred thousand reasons why I can't just use a tool. Can you imagine if you went to fucking dig a hole and there was some new fucking update that happened that rendered your old shovel useless, right? just want to use a fucking shovel to dig a hole. It's the same thing with my edit machines. It's the same thing with my computers. Now I get it. There's new stuff that comes out in the market, bright and shiny. I like that. I like that vibe, but I like the idea of doing that because I'm getting something new, right? I'm getting some new thing that is going to change my work. It's going to inspire me to create something new. I don't like be, I don't like having to pay buku bucks to upgrade to just keep the status fucking quo drives me crazy that's why i did the research and i found puget systems how's that for a rant uh go to pugetsystems.com check them out you can buy a computer based upon the software that you're using or going to use these guys build custom pcs they don't manufacture hardware that means they're not trying to pawn off a warehouse full of shit on you they literally have done all the research benchmark tests they have looked high and low for the best and tested all this new hardware with a, a, trying to produce the right results for you as someone that is like, hey, look, I want to build an After Effects machine. Should I get the newest graphics card? And they're like, hey, uh, by the way, we tested all that stuff and the new graphics card is really more suited for video games. It really doesn't do shit for your After Effects machine. So you could be two or three generations prior and it's fine, which means you're saving the money on that, which is great. Because you can take that cash and put it into other things that you need for your system. Maybe you need a Wacom tablet. I love mine. That's what I got with the money that I saved. I need some better monitors, right? That with the money I saved. I needed this fucking uh, road fucking... What is this goddamn thing called again? <laughs> this roadcaster, which was saving on money. I needed decent speakers. Speakers are really important for editing, by the way. Um, a lot of people are still cutting on stuff that they have like BJ's Wholesale Club fucking volume knob speakers. <laughs> and they're trying to do sound mixing and sound design on those things. <laughs> Save yourself some money. Don't buy one of those super expensive I'm paying for your marketing campaign machines and then buy yourself a nice set of fucking speakers. 
to fucking edit your shit. I don't know how many people work on the worst speakers at their home system. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but it looks really cool. Yeah, but it sounds like shit. <laughs> mm. But anyway, uh, over at Puget Systems, even if you're just someone that wants to build your own PC, and good on you if you know how to do that. A lot of us don't have the time or energy these days to do it on our own. But if you want to, and you're looking for great resources um, and uh, research material, Puget System has a bunch of really cool uh, publications that they put out. Uh, more recent one, which is fascinating, uh, just came out on March 30th, Unreal Engine, the 11th gen Intel Core versus AMD uh, 5000 series. And so they're talking about building systems that run the Unreal Engine stuff. Now, this isn't just for video gaming. This is also the uh, software that they're using to create the backgrounds and run the backgrounds on the Mandalorian, on those, uh, what do they call that? The space or the room or something like the the infinite, uh, like a LED screen room that they shoot the Mandalorian stuff on. That all runs uh, on beefy systems. I would probably, we've had the guy on the show who runs that set. I can't remember. I think he was saying that those are running on PCs. I think they're running on PCs for that stuff. Don't quote me on it. But these guys are trying to build the best Unreal Engine running machines. And all the specs are up here. It's really great. What other uh, articles do they have running up here? Articles like uh, some great password management options uh, and good reasons to use them. I hate dealing with my passwords. It drives me crazy. You ever notice this when you're like logging into some basic fucking website? It's a basic website. There's no, there's no important information. And it's like, you're a fucking safe cracker. Like, what is this? And you're fucking dialing in like, I can't remember exactly what this fucking password is. And then you get halfway through and you go, what am I doing this for? I don't even have any personal information with you guys. Why do I have to have three characters capitalized? Can you just Fuck, can we just use a website without a password for once? <laughs> uh, but there's a bunch of problems with password managers and stuff. I'm, I'd be curious to read this article. Uh, I'm just sort of breezing through it. Remembering dozens of unique passwords can be cumbersome and almost impossible for most of us. Okay, I got to read this one. So anyway, like I was saying, let me get to the point. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. Not only can you buy a great PC there, but it's a great resource for those of us that are on computers all day, especially desktop computers, these guys know their shit, and I know them personally. I know each and every one of these sweet, sweet nerds that built these machines, and they're great guys. Um, and so like, if you wanna get into a relationship with them, head on over there, write to them, tell them what you're doing, tell them how much money you got, see what you can put together. I'm telling you, they're really great. Anyway, head on over to PugetSystems.com. Next up, my good buddies. I'm actually wearing their shirt today. Um, no one can see you, Michael. You're doing a podcast, an audio podcast only, remember? Um, Quasar Science. Quasar Science is one of the best companies in the marketplace for LED lighting, for movie lighting. I love these guys. Uh, you've heard me say it a hundred times on the show. One of the best advancements in the movie industry over the past six, seven years has not been the cameras, in my opinion. It has been the lights. LED lighting has changed the game. And how uh, dependable LED lighting has become, how you can rely upon the color temperatures off these units, how low of a power draw that they pull, that changes everything for you as an independent filmmaker. That means you can light larger sets. That means you can do cooler things. You can get 
more exposure out of your units without having to gel them a hundred different times. It's great. I love these things. I use them all the time. Um, one of my favorite things to do with my Quasar tube is actually just get one of the battery powered ones, turn it on nice and soft and move it around my subject's face to find the correct angle for lighting. I just did this yesterday with Gina. Gina and I went in to shoot, I think I could say it on the show. We went in and shot Kevin Smith's daughter yesterday, which was really great, um, Harley. And she's a sweetheart. And we went and did a photo shoot with her um, and we needed to come. It's always difficult when you jump into like one of these celebrity shoots because you don't get a lot of time with them in advance. And so the hardest thing to do is to figure out the exact angle of light for these folks as quickly as you possibly can. And one of the tricks that I like to do, like I said, is just have like a little LED unit. So when they're sitting in there and they're positioning themselves and you have to work your way through the wardrobe and makeup people. By the way, if you're a wardrobe and makeup person and you're working for a photographer, give us a minute to actually frame the fucking shot before you guys jump in. It's insane sometimes the amount of people, and everybody's excited, everybody's there to make images look really great, but it's insane how they just swarm. And you're like, guys, I can't see. <laughs> a, I can't see what the light's doing, I can't see what the frame is. I promise you, and I know Gina feels the same way, and I'm not saying that anybody specific on any shoot has ever done this with us, I'm just saying that I've seen it before. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. It's just that if you're working, if you're a makeup and hair person, I know a lot of you listen to the show and you're working with a photographer and you're younger, right? You don't have the experience. Older, more experienced makeup and hair people will tell you this. You just ask the photographer or you ask the director for final looks. Will you give me an opportunity to go in right before you snap the shot? Yes. Then step aside because then us as the photographer or the director or the DP can actually sit there and get the frame right. Because we're just as desperate as you are, especially when you're doing shoots with celebrities, like I said, because you just have them for a short period of time. There's this whole, if you're a photographer, if you're a director dealing with them, you have to become friends with them instantly. So you're in there sort of talking about whatever the fuck it is that you're talking about to connect with. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, they're in front of the camera, finally. And then being a lighting guy, especially someone that's working for Gina, I'm like, Okay, I gotta figure out what this person's fucking face does. Cause it would blow, it blows your mind to see the difference that centimeters have with the angle of light on someone's face. And as you start to move that light around someone's face, you start to see different emotions. What we as the viewer register as different emotions playing on their face. Heavy shadow in the front, contrast. Deep eyes, sort of sinister. Bring it to the front, bring it a little high, fill a little bit from the bottom, get rid of those bags that are under the eyes. There are all these little tricks that you can do just by moving the light. No one really talks about that, by the way. You know, we get so obsessed with like filters and filtration and like Instagram filters. It's all about light positioning. It's all about making sure the light's coming at the right angle for you. You can clean up so much stuff. So that way you're saving yourself on retouching time and everything. So if you give your lighting team, if you give your photographer just a little bit of time to find that perfect angle, you're going to be happy as a subject. You're going to be happy as the makeup team because 
you're going to be looking at a bullshit shot before it's really lit and go, fuck, their bags are really there. Should I load them up with more makeup? No, 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 no. Just give us a minute. We'll go in there and we'll clean it up with light. Anyway, one of my coolest kits that I have in my thing for that are my Quasar Science tubes. I've got rainbow LED tubes and I also have bicolor tubes. They're about to send me some new stuff. Let's see, on their websites, really cool stuff on their website. Head on over to Quasar Science and check them out now, but they have their double rainbow tubes, which looks like it's two sets in one, which I, I really want those. I have the Q-Lion set, which is really great, and I also have the, the rainbow two, and that's like a universal tube. I love those. Um, head on over to Quasar Science. Check them out. See the stuff that I use. You're going to really love these things. And if you have these in your kit and you work with a gaffer, he's going to thank you for it. He's like, thank God you didn't buy a bunch of shitty fucking LEDs from China. Thank you. <laughs> these things aren't going to fall apart when I use them on set. Uh, so check it out. All right. We have, very excited. Uh, I don't know when this episode comes out. This may be the first time I do a read for it. There may be another episode prior to this. Um, I'm actually doing a very special episode with the owner of this company. Um, but we have a brand new sponsor on the show. And I love these guys. These guys have changed my life. 100%. These guys have changed the way I get sleep. They have helped me tackle my insomnia. Because I've been dealing with insomnia for years. And uh, if I haven't released the episode yet, there's an episode coming a special episode on insomnia and how I've had to tackle it and how it's affected me as a creative. Um, and one of the biggest problems for a lot of people, one of the biggest reasons, and it seems so basic and simple, the reason why we don't get great sleep is because for some reason we think it's okay to sleep on a shitty mattress. How many of you listening right now to the show are sleeping on a mattress that's a hand-me-down? That was something that was given to you by an older brother. Maybe you rented a room in your apartment and they're like, I don't want to get rid of this. And you go, no big deal. I don't have a mattress. I'll just take yours, right? I don't, we're trained to feel like we have to save cash with these things. We're trained that like we got to find a fucking deal. It's like we're an old grandmother with coupons. We go buy fucking mattresses. I got this thing and it was super cheap and it's great. And you sit there and you go, yeah, but are you comfortable on it? Do you toss and turn? Do you sleep? Do you wake up and does it feel like someone stuck a crowbar into your spine all night and fucking tried to crack you open? That was me for quite some time. I was one of those folks where I would brag about the fact that I like my mattresses super hard. Why? When did I ever decide that I liked my mattresses super hard? What was my decision process on that? Is it because it made me more manly? I still can't figure out the origins of that. I think it was probably because I came from a family of four kids and my parents were like, let's just get a bunch of mattresses that we're not going to spend a fortune on because there's four of them. And I always slept on hard mattresses. I'm telling you, a few months ago, I was waking up and my legs were consistently in Charlie horses. My back was consistently killing me. And I was sleeping on a mattress that I had for over eight years. It was killing me. It's killing my relationship because I was a cranky fuck. It was destroying the way that I do this show because I couldn't remember what I was saying and I couldn't get them out because I wasn't sleeping enough. And so uh, I came up with a bunch of different ways to tackle my insomnia. There's a whole special episode that's either coming out or is out 
that will talk about this stuff. I definitely suggest you guys listen to it. But uh, one of the great side effects of all that research was I found this company called Custom Comfort Mattress out here in Los Angeles. And the reason I like them is because they do exactly what they say they do in their name. They build custom mattresses. These guys will help tailor a mattress to your body type. Now I know you're thinking, these things are probably super fucking expensive. They're not. They're very affordable. There's all sorts of different ranges on there. If you guys live in Los Angeles, these guys also ship all over the country. The problem is, is it helps to go into their showroom and lay on the mattresses and have them fit you for it. I had to go into the showroom like two or three times to actually be fit for a mattress. The other thing that was really great about it is I bought a mattress and I had a hundred and something days uh, to actually keep it or whether or not I wanted to adjust it from them. And so I ended up sending it back and saying, this doesn't really work. And they actually restuffed it and tried to send it back to me. I said, it still doesn't really work. These guys really hooked me up. It's free delivery. They bring it in and out of your house. Can you imagine that shit? I mean, how often do you go buy mattresses and you feel like you're walking into the back of an old gas station? <laughs> and it's like a converted space that isn't supposed to be a mattress fucking retailer. And a guy comes over to you and he's like, uh, He's like uh, Bill Paxton from True Fucking Lies, and he's a sleazy with the fucking mustache. Let's get you into a mattress. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, check out Custom Comfort. Go to customcomfortmattress.com. We'll put the links below the episode. I'm incredibly happy to be sleeping on a mattress with these guys. I am more than happy to advertise the shit out of them because it's a great company. The owner of the company is really fantastic. Gary, really good dude. Um, so if you're, if you're sleeping on something that sucks, if you're waking up sore in the morning and you want to get rid of that insomnia, buy a new mattress. Be smart about it. Buy a mattress that's comfortable. Buy a mattress that's customizable. Buy a mattress that's made with natural products. You're on these things for half your fucking life. If you're in Los Angeles, go to Custom Comfort Mattress. All right. That's it for the reads. Let's get to the episode. How did you get into cinematography to begin with? Were you, a, did you ever dabble with photography before this? Or like, what was your path in for cinematography? Uh, yeah, my well, no, I mean, kind of a strange. I mean, my you know, my dad was a painter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a conservatorist, so he was restoring old paintings, but he was also painting a lot of stuff himself. And and he was a he was a, he was an extraordinarily talented painter. So I used to when I was a ki- young kid, I was used to watch him, and I didn't have any of those talents, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, I loved watching him, and I loved watching the, you know, those kind of worlds and and painting. I love painting; it's just amazing what they create, and, and the kind of sense of emotions in a in a in a painted face, or you know, the the, the a landscape and the and the mood that they create. And and so I've always loved that. And then my dad used to take a lot of Polaroids. So when I was a certain age, he gave me his Polaroid, and I was taking a lot of Polaroids. And then my best friend. Uh, wanted to become a director, so when we were pretty young, we we started shooting like you know little sequences and little films and stuff when we were like fourteen, and 
and he directed and I was shooting them. And so pretty early on, as soon as I realized that there's a job that involves a camera and, you know, <laughs> I was pretty set on that idea since then. Yeah. And, and so now that you have spent, you know, countless hours doing this and have had the experience of doing it on an indie level and then to be on a Zach set, which is, you know, the biggest of the big these days, um, is there an aspect of this job that, that, that really makes you smile, that you feel really comfortable in? Is there, is it being on set behind the camera or is it, you know, in prep? Is it in the color grade? Is, is there a part of this whole process that you love the most? Yeah, I definitely love being on set the most. I mean, I well on set, you know, I just I just feel happy. It's a sense of corny, but that's great, man. I hate prep. I definitely hate prep. I know it's necessary, but I hate it. Uh, I just love being behind the camera. I love looking through the camera. I love lighting spaces. I love. I mean, more, more than anything, I love working with my team, you know, working with my gaffer and the, and the Sparks, working with my camera assistants, working with my DRT. I just love working with those people and sort of making it come to life, working with the director. I just, yeah, I just love, I just absolutely love being on set. It's, I always feel like a kid with a crazy dream, you know. <laughs> I still <laughs> I completely agree with you. I mean, there's something incredibly magical about it. Uh, I've come from photography; it was my, you know, my roots. And the the difference between photography and uh, movie making for me, at least set wise, was that in photography it's a lot of strobe stuff, so you really can't see the world that you're in. And when I like to do my sets, and I, I love to have atmosphere, I love to be able to walk through the light and feel the light and let the light wash over you. It's incredibly mm -hmm. magical. It's it's the reason why people like to go to Disney World, you know, is that they get to live in these worlds. And we're very fortunate to be the folks that build these things and get to walk around in them, you know. <laughs> it's, oh, it's really fortunate, yeah. You know, it's it's amazing. And then you have, like, this, this great talent, you know, that stands in front of the camera and it suddenly transforms into an actor or starts to to build this character and you're like, wow, what the fuck? I, I always have to pinch myself when I'm in situations like that where it's like, because uh, I agree with you, it takes forever to make a movie. It takes forever for a movie to get greenlit. Um, I don't mind prep as much, um, but at the end of the day, you're just trying to get there and it's like, it, it seems like it's only 5% of my life <laughs> that I actually get yeah, to be on no, set. Making movies always been tough and it's, it seems to be even tougher these days. And that's why I always say, you know, there is no bad film or every, every film maker and every film that has been made, whether it's bad or good, doesn't matter. It deserves respect because it was probably a long, damn hard way to get it made. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of murdering, a lot of losing limbs. <laughs> it gets a, it's a process to get there. Um, why do you hate prep so much? You said that you don't like prep. What is it that you don't like about prepping? I, uh, well, it's because I'm so close to shooting, but I'm not sh shooting. <laughs> and also, you know, it, it depends. I mean, I know prep is necessary. You've got to do some prep and stuff. But I, I think when you do too much prep, you kind of lose the spontaneity and the, and the intuitive nature that we all have of doing things. You can sort of over-prep things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's things that you have to prep, you know, Battle of the Bastards when you have... 500 extras and 
60 horses and 60 stunt riders and 60 stuntmen. <laughs> and you've got, you know, when it comes to safety and, and, and stuff, you have to prep those things. That's totally cool. Well, yeah, it just sometimes for me, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Prep is just. It sounds like someone describing homework. Is <laughs> what well, it sounds like. That's true. Yeah, that's what it is. Always <laughs> homework. I guess that's what it is. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on on stuff being over prepped. It's such a oh, like I'm a heavy prep director myself, but you know I find that I try to prep as much as I possibly can so that I can be on set and I can just kind of throw it all away if it Absolutely needs true. to be. And that's very important, and that and. You're kind of completely erasing my argument here, which is completely <laughs> no, and, and you're right. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible host. I'm not supposed to erase your argument. No, you're totally not right. Terrible. Prep is terrible. You're right. You're totally right. And that's totally important. I guess my argument can't stand. It's good. I just hate it. <laughs> I do it. I do it. I do it all the time. And I do it. But I just can't wait to start shooting. <laughs> I don't. I don't disagree with you at all. Like the the magic that happens when you're shooting. Uh, for me, the 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 scariest thing is like first day, right? When you when your first day, first shot, and uh, you know, I try to stack up my crew with as many people as I've worked with in the past, so you can kind of get over that first shot. Um, but I always, I always like, I'm always like cringing for the first shot because you're looking in the monitor going, okay, is all those fucking theories, is, is it going to come together? Um, do you feel the same way? Like, do you, does the first shot make you nervous on a project? Uh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> Probably not. This, that. Well, no, I mean, you know, I, you know, I always want to do a good job and I always want to make it right and I always want to do the best thing. So I guess it, I guess it does, and it doesn't. I mean, the first day I think is always important, um, just to get it off the ground. So the the better your first day is, the better mm -hmm. it normally goes, right? Mm -hmm. You get the morale up, you get your crew up. Well, I think you know, I just get so excited, like you know, okay, we're about to start shooting now. We're two, we're a week away. We're five days away. We're two days away tomorrow we start shooting and then so i just can't wait to get going so i guess all the excitement i probably am really nervous about it but all the excitement kind of takes over and i don't see the other things well anyway. honestly as a director that's what i want from my cinematographer i want someone that goes in there and they're completely confident and excited <laughs> so, so that way i could go okay great he knows what he's doing awesome all right excellent <laughs> Uh, well, you were you were saying that you love working with your uh, crew, and I think a lot of younger folks that are getting into this business uh, forget the fact that our jobs are very social jobs, um, and a great cinematographer is also like a, a leader and almost like a father to a team of folks because you have a lot of people that you're relying on daily to to make your stuff, whether your shot's going to be in focus or whether you're going to have that dolly move look great. Um, do you have any sort of, do you enjoy working with your team? Do you have any sort of, uh, tricks? I don't want to say tricks cause tricks sounds like it's manipulative, but, um, is there a process for you, for your team early on, or do you just like to hire the best people and make sure that everybody does their job? Like are you a guy that connects with them or. 
Does that make sense? For me, for me, the personal connection is way more important than anything else. I mean, I mean, yeah, I love working with my team. First of all, I think, and I don't feel like a father figure to my team. I feel more like a they're my partner mm-hmm. because I really see, like, you know, for example, all of them make me better. It's true, sure, you know, and they and they help me make better stuff. Like, I mean. You know, I mean, first of all, I just love working with people and I love meeting different people. So I've been fortunate enough to, I know I have like, I have my usual people, like I have my usual focus puller, Jamie Phillips, who's been with me for more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think it's 12 years or so this year. Um, you know, he's someone, we kind of grew up together, you know, he, he, he just stepped up from loading when, when I was operating a B cam on a show and he was focusing for me and we've been, We've been best friends ever since, and I'll, I'll take him on as many jobs as I can. Um, same with my two of my gaffers that I work with here in the UK a lot. Um, same with my DIT. My DIT has been the same for the last six, seven years. Ian Mars, and he is amazing. And I really think that when I'm shooting digital, obviously when I'm shooting film, I can't have him, but when I'm shooting digital, I definitely 100% think that he makes me a better DP mm. and I do better things with him uh, being there. And so so that's a real collaboration which I cherish very much, as much as with all the other crew that I have. But, you know, equally, I love it when I go abroad and obviously I can't take Jamie or Ian or any of the other people. Um, I, I love meeting new people and love working with new people just because I love people and I love meeting people. And... Uh, by doing that, I've had some some great, great experiences and made some interesting friendships. And and so when I choose people, when I choose crew that I haven't worked with before, because let's say I'm in Canada or America or wherever, mm-hmm. uh, I I normally tend to really choose the people from a personality point of view. Uh, if 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 I get a CV in front of me, I assume that they will have done. That they will that they will be able to do their job, right? Right. From right, a technical right. level, from a technical standpoint, for me, it's much more important that that person, personality-wise, is some something that I click with, <laughs> and they click with me too. Um, that's much more important because you spend so much time together. You spend 12, 13, 14, 15 hour days together every single day for an amount of time. Um, you know, I, I want to be with someone that I enjoy being with. I completely agree. Because like you said, it, it's a it's a very circus life, you know, where you are away from your family, you're on the road, and you're doing these intense, intense days and long hours. And, and, and a lot of the crew folks are in those long hour situations. Um, and uh, a lot of my buddies from year, from from all the years that I've done stuff come from crew positions. And and I've heard horror stories of the cinematographer that really doesn't connect with the team and they sort of come on and they're working for this dictator. And, and a lot of times the crew will sort of roll their eyes and go, he's the artist. You know what I mean? You have, you have that thing. And I've never wanted to be that individual because at the end of the day, we're, we're striving to make great movies and we're striving to make really good content, but I'm also trying to live a good life through the whole process of doing it. And so I, I agree with you. I want to be around people that, that make me laugh. I want to be around people that make it 
you know, dragging our asses out when we've changed our schedule to, to nights now. I, I want to mm-hmm. have a walk up to that person that makes me laugh in the, in the middle of the night and you, know, you they roll your eyes and you go, okay, yeah, yeah, we're in this together. Okay, great. Um, that, that's filmmaking for me. That's, that's a big part of filmmaking is, is that entourage or that, that community that you built, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, ma'am. Um, how are we doing here? We're doing pretty good. I appreciate you sharing as much as you have on the show. And it's always, I wish we were in the same space. It's always awkward having these conversations over the internet. Um, I, I miss, I can't wait to get out of COVID so I can actually hang out with people. I don't know, it's going to be nice when it happens finally, hopefully at some point. <laughs> yeah. We're getting close, man. I've already had vaccine number one. We'll see. A couple weeks. I'm getting one in a week. Yeah. It wasn't too bad, man. The first one wasn't bad. What are you, are you aiming for Moderna? Is that what you're going for? I actually have no idea. They just said I'm, I can, I can, I can get one. I just said yes. <laughs> yes, please get me well, out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's not that bad. The first shot wasn't that bad, and I hear the second shot. You get a little bit more sick, but uh, it hasn't been too difficult. Um, and uh, I can't, dude. I can't fucking wait. It's like here in Los Angeles. It's been like prison sentence. <laughs> Yes, I know. I've spoken to a few friends. It doesn't sound good. (laughs) Um, So do you have any, uh, so you in prep for anything new right now? You got anything new on the horizon? I am and I can't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. No, that's cool. It's crazy with with NDAs and all of that stuff. You're literally not allowed to say anything until it's official and it's not official and did you have? Uh, did you do any shooting during COVID? Were you on COVID sets or anything? I was doing. I wasn't. I wasn't COVID. I mean, I was doing. I wasn't doing much long form. I was doing uh, commercials mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. last year. I was doing uh, a few commercials, which has been fun. Um, I did. Uh, I did the uh, reshoots for a movie, which I also can't tell you what it was. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> Uh, but that was cool. That was a that was a big set. That was uh, about eight weeks of work, which was great and a lot of fun. Um, that was a full on COVID set. That was uh, pretty interesting. People dropping like flies every day. Uh, I like, um, just the idea of because I didn't do it. Well, actually, I did a couple of smaller things. But the idea of like spending every day, you know, trying to communicate through masks and face shields. Uh, it just seemed like incredibly tiring and difficult. Did you find it that way or were you able to figure out a way through it? No, you, you pretty much get used to it pretty quick. I mean, we're starting we're starting shooting soon and, you know, we've been test shooting and stuff like this. And No, it's, you know, you get used to it. It's annoying and it, you know, takes a bit of time, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very true. <clears throat> so... Now that you've done, you know, the the range of stuff, so you've done the indie stuff and you've done the larger stuff, um, mm-hmm. is there is there a project that you're sort of dying to do right now? Do you want to jump back into a larger production and you want to do something smaller? Or is there something that you've just been itching to do? You know, that's a funny question because when I was younger, I always... I was always going, oh, you know, I'd love to do this, or I'd love to do this, or I'd love to do that. And I've kind of completely stopped doing that because now I know that every time you say that, it ain't going to happen anyway, and something else will appear. <laughs> so the honest answer is no. I mean, I would love to do another movie like I did with Zach. That I had so much fun on that, you know, some of those big ones. Um, it was great fun, and I, I really enjoyed doing that. 
On the other hand, I'm also very much intrigued by doing something that's a lot smaller and no visual effects, uh, all on location, handheld camera, just a couple of good actors, few lenses, um, and doing something like that. So I'm 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 pretty I'm I'm totally open to to anything really. I'm you know I'm I'm grateful that I've been working over the past 15, 20 years. I'm grateful for the career I've had and you know, hopefully it continues and, and um but I'm just you know, I'm just grateful that I can work, you know, so I'm not I'm not particularly I get I get it. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put you in a box. It's just fascinating to hear you say that it'd be great to do like a handheld with some actor stuff. Does that is that essentially because you want it to feel a bit more loose and you want to sort of uh be more open to you know, the magic that happens with, without planning or cause yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, no, I love that. I mean, that's where I've come from. That's what I've done a lot in the, in the past, you know, um, yeah, yeah. 10 years ago. This, that's what I, I love about like, practical dramas, you know, good scripts, good dramas, some couple of good actors, you know, I really enjoyed doing that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm whatever comes along, you know, I think, <laughs> I get you. Yeah, I think that there's something really fun about doing like the practical stuff because in that hunt, there's always these accidental things that you see and th that you really could never preconceive. Um, mm. And you know whether it's like the way an actor moves or how a line is delivered, which would then change all of your setups after that. Like I, being on your toes on one of those smaller projects um, is nice, and it, it it has to be a lot different when you're <laughs> when you're shooting like you know, a, a crowd and horses and everything else where you're like, wow, the sun's really great over here. And everybody's like, yeah, but there's, you know, 300 horses over there, so we're not going to move. You know? Yeah, you're not going to move. Right, exactly. That's why, <clears throat> that's why I miss about shooting on film, you know, is because you could literally, shooting on film, you could be like, hey, this looks great over there. And you just grab your camera and you just run over there and you just push the button and you shoot something. Whereas, you know, digital <laughs> with all the, all the stuff you have hanging off you, the DRT and all the tents and all the video villages and stuff. Yeah. I lost that. Yeah. Which is fascinating too, because at least I've found in my career that uh, you end up getting hired for that, for that fun sort of hunt, uh, you know, like that openness, you know, with those smaller projects, those of which you end up being really remembered by. And not saying that you're not going to be remembered by doing like Justice League or Overlord or these larger things, but it just seems like in the industry, people really sort of gravitate towards that, like accidental emotional stuff. Um, mm. Like I was talking to the cinematographer for the original, for to Daniel from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he was he was talking about a lot of those accidental things that he found essentially hanging out with a bunch of hippies. You know what I mean? Down in in Texas, and you know he got hired. His whole career was based around you know running around with that sixteen millimeter camera or whatever it was at that time. Oh um, yeah, no, I read something about that. It sounded great fun. Yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating, dude. Um, well, this has been good, man. I think we're sort of hitting our point on this conversation, and I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's late there. So nope. I really appreciate you coming on the show and doing this. This is the point of the show where I usually ask our guests to give just a bit of advice to the younger filmmakers that are getting into the industry. Um, and 
it, it, you mentioned that you got involved pretty early on with a friend of yours that wanted to direct uh, and you guys sort of came up together. Was was that important? Do you do you feel like if you're a younger cinematographer, you need to find yourself a, a younger director and sort of attach yourself to that person? Do you think that's the right path? I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's great. I mean, obviously, I think that's great. And if you can meet someone that you can work with, it's great. I mean, in, in my case, you know, it was Sam Donovan who, I mean, there's, look, there's lots of people that I teamed up with in the past when I was younger, and, and not all of them were directors. Sam Donovan has become my best friend and, and, and the director that I shot all, I shot all of his short films when we were back in film school um, 15, 16 years ago, and, and we just uh, two years ago teamed up to do um, a couple of episodes of The Crown, you know, and we had a great time, and it was amazing. You know, we've both been through, you know, our careers and we've been friends throughout and we've been helping each other and pushing each other on and it was beautiful to to see him get the crown and then for him to call me and we did this job together it was just a lovely experience but you know i've i, I team you know a lot of my team are people that i've known with i've known for a long long time i've worked with for a long time my the focus put on my camera on season eight of game of thrones was Borja beros who's who i met 18 years ago when I started film school <laughs> uh, and we've been friends ever since and uh, we've always been in touch and, and, and he comes out and pulls focus for me on the crown and it was great you know yeah. so I think teaming up with people is always great equally you know you always meet new people the further you go and the, and the more you go on but you know uh, you know there, there's obviously there's a lot to a relationship with someone that you've known for such a long time that you have a close connection with and, and they know you and you know them and as much fun as it is working with new people and, and, and getting to know new people there's something about working with people that you know that you know that intimately you know so there it is Another episode on cinematography in the can. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys found some stuff interesting in there. Um, Fabian's an interesting dude. I would love to hang out with him in real life uh, and get even more nerdy about cinematography. Uh, and if you haven't seen his films yet, go check them out. Like I said, uh, check out his IMDb listing. We'll try to post that underneath the show. Um, but a uh, huge fan of Overlord. Uh, he mentioned uh, Victor Frankenstein. That movie looked really fantastic. I remember seeing that uh, years ago. Um, and unfortunately, I don't remember whether or not I liked the movie. I just remember it looking really great. Um, but he's done a ton of television, too, as well. So an inspiring director. Incredibly fascinated to see what his future holds because he's definitely on an upward rise. Especially after the Zack Snyder release. It'd be interesting to see what happens next with him. Um, and thank you guys and girls for listening to the show. And thank you for supporting all of our uh, sponsors and our ad reads by clicking our links that are embedded in the description of the episode. Make sure if you're a newcomer to the show, you subscribe to us. Subscribe to us either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever podcast service you use. And please... Uh, leave us a review. Rate the show. Leave us a review. And I know you hear that a lot from other podcasts. 
And we ask that because it helps put us higher on the algorithm. That's it. And the higher I am on the algorithm, the better the guests are. The better the production can be. I can get more sponsors, which means I can get and pay more people to work on the show. Wouldn't that be nice? To have a team that I was able to employ that run this fucking thing. Uh, lots of cool stuff on the way. Lots of great episodes in the can. A uh, bunch of interesting stuff going on with the movie stuff. I've been deep in prep. I'm reading uh, this great new book that I'm not going to talk about yet. I'm going to go through the whole process of doing it, but it's kind of blowing my face open as far as directing is concerned and really sort of changing my philosophies on things. So I will be sharing that with you guys in the future. So stick around for that. Um, and as always, I will see you next Tuesday.